I saw myself as independent. I made it a part of who I was. I made it a part of what made me worthy and good and amazing and special and unique when really it was a weakness because it wasn't a healthy independence. It was hyper-independence and it was rooted in unresolved trauma. Hey friends, welcome back to the Make It Inevitable podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Zamora, and today I want to talk about releasing hyper-independence from trauma and settling into support, softening into support. Hyper-independence is something that I can speak to from personal experience, especially the hyper-independence that comes from trauma in particular. For much of my life, I was extremely independent. I would really organize myself and my personality around that idea of being a strong, independent woman. And I thought that this was a good thing, a attractive thing, something that made me better in some way, more capable in some way. And really, it was a result of trauma. It was a result of childhood trauma that then carried over into relationship trauma that I had from my very first relationship, my very first long-term relationship when I was just 14 years old, all the way into my 20s and beyond. The trauma that I experienced made it unsafe to rely on other people. And that looked like a variety of different things. So sometimes that would be letting someone do something for me and them holding it over my head. And even just in a a toxic and unkind and unhelpful way to downright abusive and manipulative and using it as a way to have power and to get what they wanted. And it stopped feeling safe to trust other people and to let other people support me. In fact, I used to keep the scales tipped in my favor in terms of support between me and someone else Not so that I could use it against anyone else, but so that they could never use it against me. Nobody would ever have supported me more than I supported them because if that was the case, they had leverage. They, in my mind, because of my experiences from very young, had the right to then hold it over me or use it against me, to bully me, to belittle me, to use it to get something that they wanted, to feel entitled to things that they weren't entitled to. And so... This formed a hyper-independence in me. In addition to that, I have a disorganized attachment style. We'll talk on this show at some point about attachment styles because even though they're about relationships and how we feel and hold ourselves and organize ourselves relationally with other people, attachment styles come into play when it comes to making the impossible happen. So we'll have a conversation about that. Disorganized attachment is an attachment style that is disorganized in the sense that we can be both anxious and avoidant. And that comes from very extreme inconsistency during childhood. So not knowing if the person who is supposed to love and protect me and take care of me is going to be safe or not. Sometimes they will be, sometimes they won't be. So this disorganized attachment style also has played into my hyper-independence. It's safer is the story to not rely on other people, to not ask for, and certainly not receive any support from other people. Independence is something that is healthy and good in certain ways, in certain contexts. As human beings, we are wired for attachment. We are also not capable for big chunks of our life at the beginning and the end. And 
in many cases in between, we're not capable of taking care of ourselves all alone. And even back, way back in the day when that looked like if we didn't have the protection of the community, of the group, of the cave, we would be subject to exposure to the elements, which could kill us, or exposure to threats in terms of animals or other people out there. So there is a deep-rooted need for connection and community. Even in this day and age, where we're less likely to have to deal with the extreme weather conditions, the environment that could kill us, as well as less likely to come across a saber-toothed tiger who wants to eat us if we don't have support from the community, we still need each other. We can't do everything ourselves. Especially as babies and young children, we need other people to literally stay alive and stay safe. As we age, we once again get into a state where we're not able to take care of ourselves. We need other people. We need community. Even in between that, when we're sick, when we're injured, when we're down and out emotionally, mentally, we need other people. To run a successful business, we need other people. To whatever your big impossible desire is, own property, travel the world, have some kind of impact, make your art, start a family, find your person. We need other people. There's a level of independence that is healthy and important. And we learn to be independent within relationships. We learn interdependence, healthy interdependence, which isn't codependence. We're not dependent on someone else. We're not affected and driven and motivated by somebody else and what they want and need by somebody else in their mood or their tone or whatever it is that's going on. We are capable of being an autonomous human, ourselves, our own person, our own individual. We're capable of living our own life. We're capable of making things happen for ourselves. So there's a level of independence that is important, that's healthy for each and every one of us. We don't want to be codependent. We don't want to be totally dependent on everyone else for everything. We shouldn't be. But there is that level of, of independence, of knowing ourselves, of being our own person, of being able to make things happen for ourselves, whether that's internally doing our growth and healing work or externally out in the world, making things happen, going after what it is that we want. And as humans, we are wired for connection. We are wired to bond. We are wired for community. We literally, quite literally need people around us at many different points in our lives. We couldn't have the lives that we have right now. I couldn't be talking to you. I couldn't have a podcast, a business. I couldn't be online if it wasn't for other people existing and creating. So we need other people. As children, many of us have experienced a certain type of trauma. Many of us have attachment trauma. I believe it's about 50% of people are secure, which means they don't have attachment trauma. They felt safe. They felt taken care of. They felt like they could get their needs met when they needed them when they were small. The other 50% did not, for one reason or another, did not feel that their attachment needs were met. And that shapes us as we grow. And if it was unsafe to go to your caretaker, if it was abusive, you learn to take care of yourselves. You learn to be hyper-independent. And if you experience more trauma as you grow developmentally, whether that's within your peer group, within authority figures, school, work, society, otherwise, and within your adult relationships, romantic, platonic, if it's not safe, 
for you to ask for or receive support, you will become more hyper-independent. Hyper-independence is, I don't need anyone. I can take care of myself. I will do everything for myself. We will say no when people offer support or help, even if we desperately want to say yes. And that has been true for me throughout my life, especially after my loss and trauma. It was very scary for me to say yes, but I needed help. I needed support. And there were so many times that people would offer it, whether it was friends or family or someone else professionally, and they would offer their help and support just freely. Either they were offering something free of charge or they were giving me their time and their energy. At times, even offering support in terms of food or a car ride or a little financial aid, whatever it was. I would feel deep inside the desperate, yes, please, I can't do this alone. I need help. I need support. That would be so wonderful, so nourishing, so helpful. And no would come out of my mouth without, without a second thought. It would just automatic, no, no, I'm good. Thank you. No, thank you. No, I've got this. That's really sweet, but no, that's okay. And I would be so stubborn in my no, because there were people that really loved me, really cared about me, who could see through my hyper-independence, who would ask if I was sure, who would try to wiggle around my no and give me that support anyways. And I would dig my heels in even deeper and say no, not because I didn't need or want it, but because it didn't feel safe. And I started to develop this personality. I saw myself as independent. I made it a part of who I was. I made it a part of what made me worthy and good and amazing and special and unique when really it was a weakness because it wasn't a healthy independence. It was hyper-independence and it was rooted in unresolved trauma. And the more trauma that I experienced on top of that childhood trauma, on top of those early relational traumas, the more it locked in that hyper-independence. So if you have hyper-independence like that, there is a trauma somewhere. There is a belief, a story, an experience that says it is not safe to ask for or receive support. And if I do, if I am backed into a corner and I have to ask for and receive support, I will go above and beyond. I will go so far out of my way to make sure that the balance is tipped in my favor, to repay them, to do more for them. We can't just receive. We can't just accept. That is not a strength. That is a weakness and it is rooted in trauma. It's a trauma response that has become a way of being. And again, discernment. There are areas where my independence is still very valuable very healthy and good for me in my life and my business. But I have had to learn to release the hyper-independence by healing the trauma. So let's talk about that. Let me give an example. I have a lot of examples in my life, but one of the things that I like to share a lot on this show because it's, it's active for me in my life right now and it's actually one of the bigger and more fun and exciting and very aligned manifestations in my life is the camper manifesting a camper. And by manifesting, I don't mean I thought happy thoughts and I made a vision board and poof, there it was. It did the work 
to live the methodology behind these conversations and the show. I did the healing work. I eliminated my stoppers. I showed up in a different way of being to shift the odds in my favor, to become a clearing for this to be possible. Manifestation is something coming into form. I manifested the camper, but I don't mean that in that spiritually bypassy way. I did the work that we talk about on the show. If you're new to the show and you haven't listened to the earlier episodes, check the show notes. We'll link to, I believe it's episode two, maybe three, where I talk about the methodology in more detail so you can understand what that means. And then you can see it play out in all of our conversations here. I manifested the camper, this change in my lifestyle. And I did that by living this work, by living this methodology. I had to heal as part of this. One of my stoppers around making this a reality, bringing the camper and this lifestyle change into form, manifesting it, it required, 100% required that I could ask for and receive support. I literally could not do this alone the way that I've done it. Was there a path where I'd have to do a lot of it alone? Absolutely. If I had been traveling around, if that was the path I chose with it, which I'm not, it's parked, then I would have had to navigate by myself for the most part, figuring out how I'm going to do that. Where am I going to park? What's it going to cost? It still would need the help of other people. The community of people who live in campers and travel around in vans and RVs. The people who have places where you can dock, you can boondock and park. So other people are still involved. But there's a different need for asking for and receiving support than the path that I chose, which was to park on family land that required asking if I could. And more than just asking, receiving if and when ultimately they said yes. I had to receive that. Now that might seem to some people like, oh, that's how lovely. Who wouldn't say yes to that? When you have hyper-independence, it's rooted in trauma. That's really scary because now you might owe someone something. Now they might have something to hold over your head, to abuse you with or around, to throw in your face. They have, it feels like they have some kind of power. It's not safe. So it started there. It started with asking, if I get a camper, can I park on this land? And then receiving that. And then continuing from there to ask for and receive support. I didn't know anything about campers. Yes, I can learn. We can all learn the things that we don't know. And when we accelerate the process, when we receive support from other people, when we tap into other people's experience and expertise, that accelerates the process for us. In order to accelerate the process rather than be hung up by all the things that I would need to learn all by myself in order to make an informed purchase, I asked my brother-in-law for help, for support. I had to ask him his thoughts on different campers. Could he help me research this or that? What did he think of this model? Could he come look at the different campers and be a second set of eyes for me? Because I was doing it alone, but I still needed help to do it. And not only did I have to ask for that, I had to receive it, which is even scarier 
with hyper-independence rooted in trauma than asking for the support. It takes a lot to summon the courage to ask for the support. To make the words come out of our body is a whole level of trauma of using our voice, of feeling worthy of asking for that. So if you can't even ask for support, that's a first layer of trauma that needs healing. Why can't you use your voice in that way? Where do you feel unworthy? Why does it feel unsafe? What stories are there? What traumas are there that need to be healed and worked through and processed? What's been unfelt? What did you stuff down from the past that makes asking scary? And if you can ask, but you struggle to receive, what is the drama there? It's the second layer of trauma that we have to heal around this. What happened in your past that made receiving unsafe? That made the belief that now you owe them something or they can hold something over you that makes you tense and anxious because you don't know What's going to happen and when because you've received support? And is there a specific type of trauma? For me, because of my childhood trauma, because of my relationship trauma, I had a deep distrust of men. And that became very apparent to me when I moved home and I started to receive the support. When I started to ask for more support, I had to ask the men in my life. I had to ask my brother-in-law. I had to ask to borrow my dad's truck. I had to ask my stepdad to help me with certain things that I didn't know how to do and whose land I'm parked on. So I had to face head on my distrust of men that was rooted in years of trauma and abuse. I had to really look at that. I had to be able to notice it. And to notice it, I had to be in motion around facing it, which meant asking for help. Navigating through the shaking of that, there were times I would feel so anxious as I would send a text off to my brother-in-law. So anxious. It was so scary for me to do that because he might ignore me. He might say no and make me feel stupid. He might say yes and not follow through. He might say yes and hold it over my head. All of which had nothing to do with him as a person. It was my trauma that made that scary that made those stories feel like reality, possibility. And then receiving, the anxiety of receiving was so much louder than the asking. It was so much louder because that is where most of the trauma occurred, the receiving and the aftermath of the receiving. There would either be control and manipulation, it'd be abusive, something would be taken from me in exchange, I would be violated somehow. It would be held over my head, used against me. And I never knew when that would happen. So I had to work through all of that. I had to process it in real time as it came up. And the only way that we can really bring these traumas to the surface to be processed is to push those edges, to ask for support and navigate the terror that comes with that, the push and pull of, wait, never mind. No, yes, I need it saying, no, thank you. I don't need it. And getting ourselves to be like, you know what? Yes, I actually do. I'm sorry. Yes, please. Thank you. And in receiving it, we have to feel the terror in our body. We have to feel the fear. We have to navigate through the trauma responses, which cause us to freeze, to go backwards, to then give more to the person who's giving to us to make sure that we stay safe. We have to notice these patterns at play. 
Whatever your big impossible desire is, I guarantee you that you need other people in some way. Also can guarantee you that asking for and receiving support from at least someone will benefit you by accelerating the process. That might look like a therapist, a coach, buying a book, asking your knowledgeable friend, asking a family member who's been through this process before, finding strangers in the world who have experience with this, joining a group, buying something from someone, selling something to someone, having conversation with somebody, hiring someone, paying for a service. These all require other people. And if you have hyper-independence that's rooted in trauma and it does not feel safe for you to rely on other people, it will take you far longer to get to where you want to be. So just notice, when you think about asking for and receiving support, is there fear and terror? And if so, where in that process is there fear and terror? What traumas are there? What stories are there? What experiences from the past added on to the trauma and just solidified that belief and that story and that fear in your being, in your body, in your cells? And what and who do you need to move through that? Now, the camper story is a great example because I knew that I had to heal my trauma and my distrust around men. And I had to learn to ask for and receive support. And there's a series that I've been wanting to do for a while, The Somatics Of. And the first one that I want to teach is The Somatics of Receiving, because this is something that I did, and this is something that you can do when it comes to softening into support, receiving support. After you muster up the courage and you work through the trauma around asking, you have to receive. And something that I started doing was as I asked, and especially as I received, I embodied the somatics of receiving safely. If I feel safe, so if I'm receiving from a woman, if I'm receiving from someone who I've already deemed as safe, if I'm receiving from a source that isn't a threat to me. So for example, my trauma is relational when it comes to support. So I'll have that with men and women, but more so men because most of the trauma was with men. I can ask for and receive support in my business and with my friends around certain things. So I could look to those situations where I already had a point of reference. But if you don't, think about a time when you feel soft and safe to receive. That might be something that you bought for yourself. Maybe you went and got your hair done. Maybe you went and bought a new pair of running shoes. Maybe you took yourself on a trip. Maybe you bought yourself equipment for your business. What was a time that you felt safe to receive? And what was the semantics of that? Meaning relating to the body as distinct from the mind. What did your body do? It might be that you went out and you ordered your favorite meal at your favorite restaurant. You love those people. You know the food is going to be good. You know that if it's not, they'll make it over and they'll send it back to you. Either way, it's safe to receive. So when the waiter brings you your food, how do you feel? When you're feeling good, when you're feeling safe, when you're feeling receptive, there's a softness to your being, to your body, right? There's a sense of joy, anticipation. 
you're relaxed. You're breathing from your belly. You're not breathing tightly from your chest. You're focused on what you're receiving. You're experiencing it. You're not in your mind telling stories about it. Somatics of receiving. This worked wonders for me. So every time I would text my brother-in-law, when we went to pick up the camper in my dad's truck, when my stepdad was helping me fix a propane leak, I would feel the tension. And I would think to myself, what are the somatics of receiving? Soften. Soften into receiving support. Soften into that feeling of being held, of being nurtured, of being met, being cared for, being safe. Drop your shoulders. Breathe through your belly. Soften your jaw. Smile. Enjoy the moment. Be present in the moment and what you're receiving. Somatics of receiving. Now, this will only take us so far if we're not also processing the trauma. Somatics do a lot for us, but if the trauma is deep-rooted, and if there has been trauma after trauma after trauma around the same thing, it's not intellectual. You can't just tell yourself it's different. This is a different person. I'm a different person. I'm safe now. Gives you a little bit of leverage. The somatics gives you a little more. It helps keep your body more grounded in the present moment, calmer, centered, open, receptive. But if you haven't healed the deeper traumas, it will be hard to hold that. You will freak out in the middle of receiving. You will go into your strategies for staying safe by giving more than you received. You have to heal the deeper traumas on a cellular level, which requires looking at them. In the meantime, though, the somatics of receiving, practice this anytime you receive anything. Soften your body. And think about times that you're open to something versus in resistance. There's an openness to your energy. It's a different energetics. It's a different way of embodying yourself, who you are each moment. Can you soften into the somatics of receiving? Can you settle your body? Be present with it. Relish in it. And it's important to do this work with people who are safe. And so I did the deeper processing and healing and clearing work, a lot of process work, a lot of acupressure around my distrust with men. I also went back to therapy. I worked on that distrust of men. I worked on those traumas that were stored in my body and I moved them out. And then I practiced with people who were safe. Safe people. My brother-in-law is safe. My stepdad is safe. I practiced with safe people and I started to learn the difference somatically, experientially, cellularly between safe people and unsafe people. So now I don't ask for or receive support from unsafe people because I can discern who that is. I do far more ease, far more ease. I'm like a completely different person. I can ask for and receive support. I'm not afraid not even with men. I have cleared that because I have healed that. And something that I said a lot last year was I am a strong, independent woman. I don't want to have to be anymore. I don't want to have to be. I want support. 
I want people around me. I wanted a partner who could show up for me, who could meet me, who could be there for me. In order to have that, I had to heal this. I had to heal my hyper-independence and soften into support. And those were the pieces of doing that. Acknowledging that it was a thing, pushing my edges, and processing the traumas as they came up, expanding my window of tolerance for the discomfort of asking for and receiving support, asking for and receiving support from safe people and learning to discern the difference and trust myself to navigate that and trust other people to show up for me. And the somatics, relax into the somatics of it as you ask and receive. That's the work. If you need support, I would be so honored to help you. Process work and acupressure are always a part of my coaching because that is how we free ourselves from what is stored in ourselves in order to do this work more easily and to truly be free of old traumas. Check the show notes if you want to connect about any coaching, acupressure, or process work. And we will also link to other resources as well. I will be back soon in another episode. Thank you so much for joining me today and being a part of our incredible community of purpose-driven individuals. If you are ready to put these teachings into practice in your own life, head on over to www.stephaniezamora.com slash podcast, where you'll get access to our collection of actionable and easy to implement workbooks. That includes our renowned methodology for making the impossible inevitable that's helped hundreds of individuals worldwide get into motion on their most important goals. Plus, our comprehensive guide to stopping self-sabotage and navigating the terror barrier with more grace and ease. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.